Close your eyes and picture yourself in the mid-60s as you're walking home a nice man offers to give you a ride and you hop in. Little did you know, you would be the one person Ed Kemper killed before he turned himself in. Welcome back to Dory's Dark Corner. Edmund Kemper, also known as the co-ed killer, was born on December 18, 1948 and grew to be a giant genius at the height of 6 foot 9 and an IQ of 145. Growing up, Kemper had a broken home. His father said that dealing with suicide bombers and nuclear tests was more enjoyable than being married to his wife. His mother was very abusive to him and his father, but really nice to his sisters. She was known for not liking men at all. She thought treating Ed like complete and utter crap could save him from becoming gay. He was resentful of his own incompetence and it led to crazy fantasies about death and mutilation. He and his sisters would play a game where he was the victim that would be shocked to death, that he completed with body movements as if it was actually happening to him. Well, the one I remember uh, someone talking about in a, in a book was one that was playing gas chamber or electric chair or something. And we had this big old overstuffed chair up in my room. And we'd, we'd uh, it was not just my sister and I, it was my sister and I and a friend, close friend. We got into all these games. We got into one game where we'd roll up in a rug and a person would try to get out of it. It's just like a large throw rug. And it was, uh, I guess, what fascinated us individually about it is it was a completely, uh, it broke up the monotony, I guess, of what we were doing. Didn't have a lot of toys to play with. Uh, we got bored with those pretty quickly. So we looked for things to do. You roll up in the rug and, and you try to get out and the other two would leave the room and we see who could get out fastest. You know, you try to work your way out sideways or scoot out the end of it or whatever. And uh, we went from that to being tied in this overstuffed chair with a cord or something or, or pieces of sheet or sash or something. And uh, we went through this process. I guess we're, that's back when, in 1960 when uh, Carol Chessman was executed. Kemper would also dismember his sister's dolls and cut off their heads and hands, which would happen to his victims later on in life. When he was young, he went to a magic show where a pretty young girl cut in half by a fake guillotine, which made him very, very excited. Men didn't turn me on. That wasn't very, I couldn't appreciate the appearances of a guy. That when I was young, I was about eight or nine years old, I went to a this little come on it was like at a record store or something and they had this crowd of kids there and there was a magic show and this guy you've probably seen it the fake guillotine hand pressed and they put the potato there and someone puts their neck in the uh in the brace and they slam this thing down and the potato down below chops in two but the person's head doesn't fall off right and everybody gets very fascinated by that oh my god and then when he puts the blade in place and he pushes it down it goes through that neck hole but it never chops anybody's head off. Okay, so he wanted a volunteer out of the, I'm not standing in this crowd watching this show, and he wanted a volunteer out of the audience, and some quite beautiful little 16-year-old girl gets up there and this big laugh, and they're all giddy and stuff, and I started getting caught up in this. I said, wow. Right at that moment, I departed reality because logically, I should have been able to ascertain that that could not happen. You're not gonna get away with chopping somebody's head off in the middle of, uh, in the middle of Helena, Montana, the capital city. Um, but the concept of it was so raw and it was titillating. I says, wow, gee, I gotta watch this. And he had her girlfriend come over and put her hands there to catch her head so it wouldn't fall in the basket, you know. And he was making jokes about this. 
I got caught up in this, this, um, this interplay between normal concerns. You don't want to get a bump on her head. Well, hey, if you're chopping her head off, it doesn't matter, right? And this is catching in my mind somehow, and I'm saying, wow. At the age of 10, he graduated to Living Targets. He buried the family's cat alive, then cut off its head. He took the grotesque trophy back to his room and put it on display. Kemper would brood over fantasies of love, sex, and violence. Violence was always a huge part of these fantasies. Kemper was never able to show affection in a normal way, showing latent signs of necrophilia. When he developed a crush on a grade school teacher, his sister asked why he didn't kiss her. Kemper said he would have to kill her first. <gasps> Somebody get this child checked out. A second cat was killed. This time, he hacked it up with a machete. He hid the pieces in his closet until his mother found it accidentally. His mother would brand him as a real weirdo, then pack him up, send him to live with her estranged husband. After running away, he was taken to his grandparents to live in California. In August 1963, Kemper, at the age of 14, shot his grandma with a 22 caliber rifle, then stabbed her body repeatedly with a knife. After his grandfather came home, he shot him, leaving him dead in the yard. When Kemper was interviewed by the authorities, the only thing he had to say is, I wondered how it would feel to shoot my grandmother. The only regret he had was not stripping the corpse. Along with the murder with no motive, he got some time at a maximum security hospital in Atascadero. In 1969, at age 21, Ed Kemper had grown to be 6 foot 9 inches and 300 pounds. He was paroled to the custody of his mother. His mother settled in a college town, Santa Cruz, with a population of a lot of pretty coeds. Between the years 1970 and 1971 was when Kemper spent his time holding odd jobs and cruising around the highways. On the highway, Kemper would pick up a dozen young hitchhikers, perfecting his line until he completely comforted them. I was also involved in killing co-eds because my mother was associated with college work, college co-eds, women, and had had a very strong and violently outspoken position on men for much of my upbringing. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. And I watched the alcohol increase. I watched her social life drop off. I watched her get bizarre. She had terrible pain from her life, earlier life, her upbringing, uh, a failed marriage with my father. I'm a constant reminder of that failure. I hate to distill it down into such uh, into one-word realities like that. There's a lot that leads into that happening, but that is what happened. They represented not what my mother was, but what she liked, what she coveted, what was important to her, and I was destroying it. He would also go to a bar packed with off-duty cops quite often. He would make friends with them, get to know their stories about them being cops, which many of his cop friends would be assigned to track him down. On May 17, 1972, Kemper gave two college roommates a ride to their death. Kemper took 18-year-old Marianne Paskey and Anita Lucessa from Fresno State College. He drove them to a secluded cul-de-sac, then stabbed them to death. After he killed them, he was so pleased he took them home and hid them in his room. He felt so good about his trophies, he took Polaroids of the dissected bodies and had sex with various organs before putting them in plastic bags. He took them to the Santa Cruz Mountains and buried them and tossed their heads along the roadside ravine. On September 14th, Kemper offered to give 15-year-old Aiko Ku a ride, only to suffocate her with his hands, raping her on the spot, then taking her home to be dissected. 
Ku's severed head was sitting in the trunk of Kemper's car the next morning. While Ku's severed head was in his trunk, he was declared safe from his juvenile record, meaning it was sealed for further protection. He buried Ku's body near a religious camp in the mountains. On January 9th, he forced Cindy Shaw into his trunk at gunpoint, then shot her to death. He drove back to his mother's house, carried the body inside, and had sex with it on his bed. He then dissected her in the bath, put her in bags, then threw her over a cliff into the sea. He buried her head in his mother's backyard. Then he would tell his mother, people around here really look up to you, literally, and she never knew. By then, many of his victims were found and the police were on the case. None of the police had a suspicion it was Kemper. They were looking for Kemper without even knowing it was him. They told Kemper about where they were in the process so he knew exactly how close they were. So he knew how much time he had to do what he wanted to do before he was caught, or in this case, before he turned himself in. On February 5th, 1973, 23-year-old Rosalinda Tharp and Alice Lynn were shot to death in the car, then stacked like luggage in his trunk. He ate dinner and waited for his mother to go to sleep before going out to the car and decapitating both girls in his trunk. He wasn't satisfied enough, so he took Lynn's body into the house and raped it on the floor, chopped off her hands, and took her back out to the car. Do you like Easter? You might think of this every time Easter weekend comes around. On Easter weekend, Kemper's frenzy to kill something got fed with the killing of his mother. He would hammer her skull and as she slept, then decapitating her, then raping her. He put her larynx down the garbage disposal and saying it seemed appropriate as she bitched at me for so many years. Kemper also propped her head up on the mantle and used it as a dartboard. Still not satisfied, he called his mother's friend, Sally Hallett. He invited her over for a surprise dinner in his mother's honor. The surprise is that she was gonna get killed as she walked in the door. When Sally arrived, he clubbed her over the head, strangling her to death, then decapitating her. He put the headless body on his bed and went to his mother's room to sleep. On Easter Sunday, Kemper took a drive with nowhere particular in mind. He ended up driving to Colorado before pulling over to use a phone booth. He called the Santa Cruz Police Department where he would have to confess multiple times to his police friends. Once they believed him, they sent out a dispatch car and Kemper waited patiently in his. While in confessions, Kemper admitted to taking flesh from the legs of at least two victims. He also said he took teeth, bits of hair, and skin as a keepsake, trophies of his hunt. Although he was described as sane by state psychiatrics, he was convicted with eight counts of murder. When he was asked about what punishment he thought was fitting for his crimes. He said death by torture. He was actually sentenced with life with the possibility of parole. While confined in Vacaville, he joined an inmate volunteer group that recorded audiobooks for the blind. By January 1987, he had completed more books than any prisoner with about 5,000 hours of recording. Kemper has had no last meal or words because he is still alive in California medical facility. He was born on December 18th with the zodiac sign of Sagittarius. I found this killer creator, Becca, also known as Black Cherry Heart, on TikTok and YouTube. Becca inspired me to make a serial killer podcast. Honestly, I'd be doing something totally different if it wasn't for her. We had an amazing conversation about true crime. Join us on a journey into the dark corner. His mom was extremely abusive, verbally and I've seen, read some reports that say she was physically abusive as well. And I think she, he was literally shutting her up. He's like, well, you're dead, but I'm still going to make you shut up even more. Yep. And that was, that's the crazy part is that that was his end final goal. He really, 
everyone else is a placeholder for his mom. Because as soon as he killed his mom, he turned himself in. Mm-hmm. That was all he wanted. He just her dead. He wanted her to be quiet. I wonder why he didn't, like, kill her sooner. Do you think there's a reason for that? or? He, he had a lot of rage. And he's actually talked about this a couple of times since being arrested, that he had a lot of rage. But at the same time, it's his mom. So he loved his mom. Mm-hmm. And that confusion between I love my mom, that's the woman who gave birth to me, and the rage of just the raw hatred he had for her was confusing. And he took that out on the women around him. And it wasn't until that night where she kind of berated him one too many times where it finally clicked. He's like, oh, I got to kill her. Got it. She's like, he's like, oh, wait, I could just end it here. And yep, <laughs> it could be over. And then you just don't talk to me anymore and everything's great. Yeah. And I don't have to deal with you. So you'll literally be gone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> literally. Because <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> um, you can't. You can't give me a hard time if you don't have, if your head's not attached to your body anymore. Right, or you're, like, can't literally talk or anything. <laughs> yeah. If you throw it in the garbage disposal, you can't, you just can't yell at me no more. Right? Exactly. You're like, I finally <laughs> shut you up. And that's what he said in his interview. He actually got emotional talking about her. He's like, I just wanted her to stop talking, and I finally, I finally shut her up. Wow. That's yeah. kind of powerful and kind of messed up all at the Creepy. same time. Yeah. <laughs> definitely <laughs> it was the only time i ever saw it in all the interviews i watched with him the only time he ever got emotional was when he talked about his mom dang there's some trauma there yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay now on to kemper what i think is one of your favorites <laughs> yes it is <laughs> <laughs> um mine was sure. my favorite was Dahmer until i started researching him and watching interviews and then i got really creeped out and i'm like i don't know yeah. <laughs> He's really creepy. He's 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 more sad than he is anything else. It, Kemper is cold and calculated and humongous and friggin' brilliant. Yeah. Have you and watched Mindhunter? Oh yeah. Yeah. My oh, yeah. roommate got me hooked on that. And I'm like Ed Kemper's so like I don't know how to explain him. He's, and the casting is unreal. Like his mannerisms, the way he carries himself, the way he talks. It's exactly like the real guy. Yeah, I know. I was watching the actual interviews. I was like, holy, like. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They did such a good job. <laughs> yeah. Have you watched the Umbrella Academy? I've, I've, I started. I haven't finished it, though. Um, Ed Ke- The guy who plays Ed Kemper is one of the characters in Umbrella Academy. Is he really? Yeah. Now I gotta watch it. And I thought he was, like, now so much it. shorter. But he's, like, 6'9". I'm like, holy hell. <laughs> that's, that guy that's is massive. <laughs> Too much human. That's a big dude. Why do you think police were so interested with Kemper? I I don't know that they were in the beginning. He wanted to be a cop really bad, and he was too tall, which I didn't even know was a thing, but he was too tall to be a cop. So he hung out with the cops. He was kind of this, just kind of this awkward dude that hang around, hung around the cop bar and kind of mm-hmm. was friends with all the cops. And I just think he was a common figure that they ran into all the time. I think that's why they didn't believe him in the beginning. But once they did believe him and he could kind of prove everything that happened, um, all of a sudden here's this giant genius who's going around ripping women apart and having sex with his mom's head. Like that's, that's a lot for someone to wrap their mind around. And people just, people are fascinated by gore. The more gross it is, the more 
like the more messed up something is i feel like um like the more i want to watch it because the more i want to know um about this like about it yeah that's i'm i'm the same way i think most people are i think you know we rubberneck when we see a car accident we we want to know you know if we see cops in our in our building or in our neighborhood we want to know what's happening we want to see the fire we we want to see the destruction because it's not happening to us so we can kind of sort of experience it without having to actually experience it yeah it's like the new Joker movie. Like, I was literally just, like, so focused on it that I wasn't even, like, really paying attention to what was going on. I was paying attention more to how um, Arthur was, like, mentally messed up, I guess. Kind of putting him, like, mm-hmm. a serial killer mindset. And, like, yep. so the movie didn't really hit me like it hit other people. I just, like, was so focused on, like, that aspect. I think that's why it was so different for me versus other people. Um, I don't You're know if that's more of like the details and like yeah. the story and, and the, the things that are in the shadows as opposed to just the obvious violence. Yeah. I think that's why I liked it better than most people. Like I said, I'd be willing to bet that people, true crime fanatics probably process a lot of things differently mm-hmm. because, you know, everyone else just looks at the big picture and they're like, Oh, there's a lot of violence, blah, blah, blah. But we're looking at, you know, the way, the way he kills or the way he thinks about it or the way he talks to himself before and after. Like, we're, we're paying attention to the psychology of it and, and the, the stuff that actually matters, the yeah. actually the interesting stuff. Because um, we know what to look for. Yeah. We're like, oh, that's suspicious. That's going to lead to this and this and this. Um, yeah, we're basically all on our own. Yeah, that, like, we don't need to go to the FBI. We are the FBI. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how do you think Kemper got so close to the cops like during the investigation of like his murders, how do you think the cops were like, yeah, no, it's not this dude. Like it can't be him. He was just already there. Like he was already a part of the scene. So it, it just wasn't, and he didn't, he looked at the people that he was killing as objects. He didn't see them as people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he, when he killed one, he put it in his trunk. Then he went to the bar, had a couple of drinks with the cops and then went, got rid of the bodies Cause he just, he didn't see them as people. So he was never, he never acted suspicious. He never acted weird. He was just a normal guy doing normal things because to him, it was normal. So no one ever looked at him sideways. He was smart. I mean, he was a little awkward, but he was smart and likable and, and kind of a nice guy. And he was, you know, wanting to please the, the men, the cops around him. So they kind of enjoyed him being there. They're like, oh, we don't want to lock you up. So we'll just be your friend. <laughs> or we yeah, don't. Exactly. <laughs> He had to like convince him when he did it because they're like, yeah. no, you didn't stop. You didn't I, do those things. I read no, that I he had to like literally say it multiple times and like he's like, no, yep. I did it. Like I literally did it. Like what do you mean I There's didn't do it? <laughs> he's like, yeah, he just he's too nice. It's underestimating. You never un- never underestimate the nice ones or the quiet ones. Right. Those are the ones to always keep a little bit of an eye on, especially the quiet ones. Yeah. My uh, podcasting teacher is like. How can a per- such a nice person like you be interested in like murderers and stuff? I'm like, I don't know. I just am. Like, just know that I know that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm just like I can hide a body, <laughs> but I literally know how to make it look like an accident. So exactly, or I can figure out ways before I decide to do this. Yep. <laughs> Um, it's a little potassium overdose. It looks like a heart attack. Exactly. Nobody's going to well, know. <laughs> You're allergic to this certain thing. Oh, here you go. What? Nope. I didn't know that was in there. That's my, I'm really sorry. After he said, like, the death torture as his punishment, like, why do you think they didn't do it? I think people have a really hard time with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And 
they have a hard time because that puts you right on the fine line between being a monster yourself. And nobody really wants to be a monster. I mean, normal people don't want to be a monster. So I think people are really reluctant to put someone to death. And then you have someone like Kemper who is kind of friends with people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, less people wanted to do that. And he helped a lot with the FBI, um, with, with the whole development of the behavioral health unit. That's a, that's a real, that really happened. Mm-hmm. Those things are true. They, he did talk to them a lot. They got a lot of information from him. He's actually, you know, and he's a really big advocate now um, for, you know, it's, it's not a crime to think about hurting people. It's a crime to hurt people. Mm-hmm. So if you, see or, or if you feel that you want to hurt someone or you're fantasizing about hurting someone, ask for help. You get help before it's too late. Yeah. And, you know, now he reads books, audio books for blind people. Um, he's read, uh, recorded over 5,000 hours of audio books for a company that gives these, these audio books to blind people. So I think once once his true target, his mother, mm-hmm. was taken care of, I think that he started to switch over from being a bad, smart guy, uh, an evil guy, to trying to make amends for that. And I think that people, I think that resonated with people. So they just were like, oh, let him go. <laughs> They're like, oh, you can live, but you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> and he and he knows that he needs to be there. He's fully aware that mm-hmm. this is where he needs to be. I don't even think he, I think I read somewhere that he doesn't even go to his parole hearings anymore. He's like, this, this is where I, I deserve to be here. This is where I should be. I'm yeah, not he, getting out. He's like, I'm done with parole. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, I just, I, I committed these crimes. I need to be punished and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just, I think people have a hard time with the whole death penalty thing. Um, do you think Kemper is the only one who's like that? Who's like, no, I'm not going to do anything that wouldn't help me get out of here. Or do you think there's no. other? No, there's definitely others. I can't, right off the top of my my head, I can't think of who they are. Um, but there's definitely some other serial killers that I've read about where they're just like, I, nope, I'm right where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to get up. Yeah, like, I've done what I've done, like, so. <laughs> yeah. And they're, you know, most, mo- not every time, most of the time, they're doing it because they hurt. Mm-hmm. There's something broken inside of them, and they, they just don't know how to express it right because of trauma. And, you know, as soon as they are faced with what they've done, a lot of them tend to regret it. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them tend to, to feel that regret after the fact because now, you know, they still hurt, and now they're in jail, and nothing was fixed. Not all of them. Some of them are quite proud of what they do, and they're still assholes in prison, but... Mm-hmm. I want to give a huge thank you to Becca, or better known as Black.Cherry.Heart from YouTube and TikTok. Thank you for allowing me to interview you, and she inspired me to do a serial killer podcast. You can check her out on TikTok and YouTube at Black.Cherry.Heart. Speaking of zodiac signs of serial killers, there is a podcast that is written in the stars called the Astrology Academy. In the Astrology Academy, Isabella will learn more about astrology, how it works, and how people benefit from it. Go into the stars with Isabella and the Astrology Academy. Check out the Astrology Academy podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for this episode of Dory's Dark Corner. Don't forget to join us next time for another episode. Thank you for listening, and you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, 